And I'm going to read Romans 15, verses 5 through 7, and then we will pray. We'll ask God to help us. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Father, we pray just what the Scriptures told us to pray. We pray that you would give us of your endurance, that you would give us of your storehouse of encouragement, that you would send us your hope. God, that you would enable us to persevere in the hard work of relationships. God, we thank you for the church. We thank you for your people. We thank you for the saints that you have put around us. Father, they're different than us. We have different convictions. We have different personalities, different mindsets. We pray, God, that you would enable us to have harmony and that that harmony would be for your glory and that our town would see the way that we care for each other and they would magnify you. They would know that you're king. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In order for us to get started today, you can be seated. In order for us to get started today, I need to do some review. Actually, quite a bit of review, okay? In order to understand chapter 15, which is kind of the pinnacle of, of chapter 14, we need to review a little bit of chapter 14. So here's going to be our review, and it's going to be a pretty extensive review, so uh, bear with me here. In matters of clear scriptural truth, okay? So there's a lot of things in the Bible that we don't wonder about. A lot of things in the Bible that really aren't up for interpretation. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are very crystal clear. In those matters, okay? In those matters, we first of all consider our own lives. Jesus told a great word picture in Matthew 7 about a guy with a two before in his eye trying to help another guy get a splinter out of his eye, a speck out of his eye, Okay? And, and, and so in that, in that passage, step number one is to get the log out of your own eye. And so in matters of clear scriptural truth, we, we look to our own lives first, and then we consider whether the person who is breaking that scriptural truth is a believer. Okay, If they are a believer, we consider how close relationally we are to them. And then if they are close relationally, then with great gentleness, we boldly speak the truth to our brother. We help them get right with God. Okay? That is what we do. Um, Matthew chapter 7, that, that passage that we look to about being careful not to judge, I want you to notice the progression. In verse 4 it says, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? And so here's what we're to do. Verse 5, you hypocrite first. Step number one, take the log out of your own eye. And then, step number two, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. 
All right, so what it, what it does not say to do is, once you get the log out of your own eye and you can see clearly in mountain, you've got a lot of re- relief and refreshment, and you look over at your brother, and man, they are dying over there, just itching their eye, and it's all red, it's got pus and goo coming out of it. You don't say, well, I got my speck out, but, you know, I- I'm sorry, I don't have anything to do with yours. You don't do that. The Bible says, in matters of clear scriptural truth, we help one another. We speak truth, we confront, we rebuke, we exhort, we do that, okay? So if Pastor Daniel comes into the office tomorrow and he says, guys, great news, I have a girlfriend, her name is not Whitney, okay? What we do at that point, with pastors it's a little different, there's a step before, okay? So with pastors, we take him to the ground, bam, right to the ground, all right? We hold him down. And we begin to speak biblical truth. We begin to share. This is what Jesus said. And this is what Paul said. And this is what 1 Thessalonians 4 says. And and Daniel, we love you. And we are speaking biblical truth to you. And then we begin to pray for him. And we begin to encourage him. And we begin to hold him accountable. We develop a plan to get him out of sin. And to get him where he needs to be. And we pray that Whitney not find out so that he's not dead before any of this takes place. All right? That's what we do. Because we love him. Now. What about the great fear in our culture about being judgmental? Okay, now, I I want you to see that that there is a completely different way to look at that, all right? We live in a culture that that, that is very quick to say, don't you judge. You can't judge. You're judgmental. You're mean if, 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 if you say anything about my life, all right? I had two conversations this past week where people were accusing me of being judgmental, and and what I tried to bring them around to see was I was actually the only one that was not appointing myself a judge. All right, now now let me explain that. As a Christian, I have given up my right to exert my own opinion about people's lives. Now, now, as a Christian, I'm the only one doing that. Non-Christians do not do that. Okay, non-Christians rise up in their own intelligence and their own, their own will of, of, of force of their will and say, I'm going to make a determination that you should do this, you shouldn't do this, you should speak to that, you shouldn't speak to that. But Christians don't do that. Christians believe that God sent His own Son to die on the cross and to raise from the dead and is the only hope of salvation And what we do is we say, I don't have an opinion anymore. I just say what the man who rose from the dead says. Okay, do you you see that? So so actually, I'm the only one in the conversation that is not exerting his own opinion. I'm actually saying, look, I, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, he rose from the dead, he's God's man, and so I'm simply going to listen to him. And I'm simply gonna say what he says. And so in the case that I previously mentioned, which has never happened, by the way, okay, hypothetical, all right, in that case, I'm not, I'm not, we're not judging Daniel. What we're doing is saying, Daniel, here's what Jesus said. Let me try to give you an illustration. This is so hard for us. We, we want to turn it around as a culture. We want to say, no, anybody who says the Bible says this is judging. No, 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 no they're not. Okay, let me, let me give you an illustration. Three little boys, three brothers all go down to the creek, the, 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 the fast-flowing creek to swim. Or not to swim, I'm sorry, to fish. They go down to the creek to fish. 
okay? When they get down to the creek to fish, they notice this old rope swing hanging from this huge oak tree that hangs out over the river. And, and the first brother says, guys, wow, we all must do it. That thing looks great. It's big. It, it looks fine. It's sturdy. It'll be the best fun ever. Let's all swing over the river on the swing. The second brother says, well, I ain't doing it, all right? That rope looks like it's 100 years old, and I'm not doing it. But if you two want to do it, I think you should, you know? I think everybody ought to make their own decision, and if you guys want to do it, then go right ahead. I support you. The third brother says, well, it looks like a lot of fun, but don't you guys remember the note that mom gave us? Let me read it to you. It says this, boys. Do not, under any circumstance, swing on that old rope swing. It's not safe. The rope is brittle. And remember, none of you can swim. Do not swing on it. All right, now let me ask you. Is the third brother being a judgmental jerk? He's actually not. He's actually the only one who's not enforcing his own opinion, isn't he? The other two gave their opinions. I think we ought to do it. Everybody ought to do it. It's fine. The other one, well, I'm not going to do it, but I think you ought to be able to. What are those? Opinions. Those are are self-appointed opinions. What's the third brother doing? He's reading the letter. He's saying, I I just want to draw your attention to what our authority said. As, As Christians, when there is clear scriptural truth, our job is simply to say what Jesus said. This is what Jesus says, okay? Now, when there is matters of personal conviction, in other words, where there's not clear scriptural truth and it's matters of personal conviction, and by the way, small group leaders, if you're in here, I'd like for you to go ahead and jot these down because I think you'll want to do some review and you may need to do some review in order to talk about today's sermon, okay? In in issues where the scriptures is not clear, in what we call open-handed issues or secondary issues or gray issues, okay? We, okay, if you remember these in chapter 14, we, number one, Develop strong convictions, okay? You remember chapter 14, verse 5? It says this, One person seems one day is better than another, while another seems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. All right, so you should be fully convinced in your own mind. In other words, just because the Scriptures don't address it doesn't mean you shouldn't have an opinion about it. You should be fully convinced on what glorifies Jesus what, how you're going to live in a way that honors God. You need to figure that out. You need to pray through that. You need to immerse your mind in the truth and get a conviction about how you ought to live. So number one, develop strong convictions. Number two, don't judge your brother's strong convictions. That's verse four, chapter 14, verse four. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So number one, develop strong convictions. Number two, don't judge your brother's strong convictions. In other words, it doesn't mean you can't have a conversation about it. It doesn't mean you can't, can't visit with him about it. It doesn't mean you can't share your It simply means you don't judge their spirituality based on their conviction being different than yours. Number three, live out your convictions to the glory of God. This is verse six and seven. The one who honors Uh, The one who observes a day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. 
since he gives thanks to God. Well, the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord. Do you hear that refrain? In honor of the Lord. In, honor, in other words, whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you don't eat, whether you do this or that, you ought to do it in honor of the Lord. Your conviction ought to be based on the fact that I am acting in faith. That's what the last verse in chapter 14 said. I'm acting in faith in that this is the way that I can honor Jesus. Number four, don't live out your convictions if it causes your brother to stumble. Remember this, chapter 14, verse 20 and 21. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it's wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So if I have a firm conviction and I'm living it out to the glory of God, but I get put in a context where I have another brother who, who me acting out my conviction is going to hurt his faith, don't do it. Don't, don't hurt your brother spiritually. Because the last one, number five, aim at building up the faith of your fellow believers. That should be your goal. 1419. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Chapter 15, verse 2. Let each of us please his neighbor for his own good to build him up. Okay? So that, that's how we are to live in these relationships. Develop strong convictions. Don't judge your brother's convictions. Live out your convictions to the glory of God, to honor God. Don't, don't do anything to cause your brother to stumble. And aim at building up people's faith. All right? That's how we handle gray issues, secondary issues. Now, that is really hard. Okay? Let's just be honest. It's hard to live in harmony, in, in, in warm affection, in deep Christ in relationships when you disagree. And so last week, Paul told us you need the scriptures, okay? Verse four, he says, through the endurance and, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, you might have hope, you might keep going. Today, Paul is saying you need to pray, okay? You need to pray. How many of you notice that the verse that we say every Sunday, verses five and six of Romans 15, is a prayer, okay? It's Paul saying, may God give you these things, Okay, he's saying God is a God of endurance. God is a God of encouragement. You need those things and may God give you those things in order that you may live in harmony. It's really hard to live in Christ in relationships. It's really hard to pour your life into other people's lives. It's really hard to invest in people. It's really hard to be in the long haul with people in spiritual friendships. That is a hard thing. And so through the scriptures, we get endurance and encouragement. But verse 5 is saying, God has endurance and encouragement. In fact, he's full of endurance and encouragement. He's got an unlimited supply. God has endurance and encouragement to give away, just like Hobby Lobby has craft supplies to sell, okay? Have you been in that place? I mean, I mean, they've got it all, right? I went there for my anniversary, okay? It was my, one of my gifts to my wife. I'll go into Hobby Lobby. I'll look at it all. I'll, I'll make comments, nice ones, and, and I'll stay for as long as you want. You know, we went to the yarn section. I'm expecting red, blue, green, black, white. I don't know. Man, there's like 10,000 deals of yarn, right? I mean, you can buy thick yarn, small yarn, big yarn, colorful yarn. You can buy yarn from an alpaca that grazes on the north side of the slope in the mountain of Afghanistan. I mean, that, that's the kind of yarn they sell. I mean, it's every kind you could ever want. Listen, 
God is a God of endurance and encouragement. He's got the endurance and encouragement you need for whatever relationship you find yourself in. Maybe you find yourself struggling with parenting and you've got a son or a daughter that's in rebellion. You're struggling with your parents. You know, you're struggling with a husband, a wife, a difficult marriage, a hard friendship, a tough small group, a neighbor that's just just eating you up with complaints and, and, and strife. Okay, God is a God full of endurance and encouragement to enable you to navigate through those difficult relationships. Isn't it cool that Paul says, you can pray for this. You ought to pray for this. Here's the reality. We will not live in harmony if we don't pray for this. I, I don't believe, I think that's why Paul says you gotta pray. We don't ha- you don't have it. Like we don't have the capacity to love people that are different than us. We don't have the capacity to hang with people, to navigate through quarrels and, and disputes and, and conflict and, and, and comments. We don't have it. We got to ask. And we're all so different. There's too many personalities, too much diversity. We got OU fans and OSU fans and Texas fans. We got hunters and we got people that are animal rescuers. You know, we got in the family of God, we've got a variety of convictions on politics and on parenting and on Halloween and movies and and what's appropriate music and art and alcohol and plastic surgery and Masonic Lodge and what constitutes a just war and what's modest apparel and whether you ought to have sports on Sunday and the events immediately before and immediately after the second coming and whether you like pews or chairs or tattoos or piercings or yoga or beauty pageants or Facebook books or whether kids should have cell phones. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And we simply will not do it without God's help. We won't be those kind of people. We won't hang with each other. We won't love each other. We won't care for each other. We won't minister to each other. Not without the power of God. And so Paul says, and we read it every week, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another that you might with one voice, here it is, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end game. And just in case you missed it, he says it again in verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. All right, so harmony of relationships, unity in the church, and aggressive love and care for one another is what brings glory to God. And that's what you were made for. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says this, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And therefore, the appropriate question in any relationship is this, how can I glorify God? I mean, that works, that that works, that's like pliers. It just works on anything, all right? It, it It is the universal tool. How can I glorify God? So you got a tough marriage. I'm sorry. What you, how do you solve that? You ask this question. How do I glorify God? How do I glorify God in my conversation? How do I glorify God in my serving? How do I glorify God in my, in my living, in my, my leaving, in my whatever I do, wherever I go? How do I glorify God in my neighborliness, in my friendships? How do I act How do I care for? How do I help? How do I relate? How do I spend time with? How do I handle a disagreement, a perceived insult, uh, an issue, questions, quarrels, covenants? How do I glorify God? That is the question. That's the right answer. That's what's going to bring satisfaction to your life. Man, that's, that's the end game. And so when we read that verse... And then we use it as our welcome time, right? And we go around and welcome each other. Man, that's, that's the goal. 
What I want to do here is I want to glorify God. I, I, I want to build people up in their faith. I want to show that he's magnificent. You know, and, and, and I was telling the other services, Lincoln is one of those churches that, man, we, we don't struggle with friendliness typically, you know? Most people that come say, man, that's a friendly church. I, I, man, I was, man, I felt really welcome. I try to ask people that. Did you feel welcome? Most people say, yeah, I felt really welcome. You know, you know, what, you know what we struggle with? We struggle with going, taking that too far where it's not to the glory of God. You know, you know where our temptation would be? Our temptation would be, I'm halfway through the sermon, you're still in the welcome, right? You know, I mean, isn't that our temptation, you know? It's like, I haven't got to everybody, all right? But see, what is it too? It's to the glory of God. And, and that means when Bonnie starts singing again, what do we want to do? I mean, we want to come back and we say, we're all about Jesus, right? We're all about connecting because we're all about Jesus. We're not just all about connecting. We're all about connecting to the glory of God. It all comes back to that. That's why disunity, petty strife, holding back love from others, quarreling, that's why those things undermine the glory of God. Now, by harmony, when Paul says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony, does that mean we have the same conviction? We believe the same thing about every issue? Obviously not. Chapter 14 was basically saying you don't believe the same thing about every issue. That's why that's it started out. Verse 2, one person believes he made anything while, while the weak person eats only vegetables. I mean, obviously, no, we don't believe the same thing about everything but rather our acceptance of one another lies more in how we love and welcome one another into our lives. Notice verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord. Do you guys see that? In accord with Christ Jesus. Your Bible may say according to Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus, something to that effect. What, what, What is that saying? That's saying, no, we, we, we will not agree on everything, but what we will agree on is Jesus, right? We will agree on Him. And, and, and we will agree on the spiritual realities that are real in each other's lives. Do you, do you remember when we talked about spiritual realities? So, so when you ask the question, who am I? You know, don't, don't think, well, I'm a middle-aged dude, you know, drives a 10-year-old car, you know, with a, a 90-year mortgage, and that's who I am, you know? Don't, don't think of yourself that way, okay? Romans 6 says... Here's how you ought to think of yourself. Romans 6, 5. For if we've been united with him, with Jesus, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. Who are you? If you're a believer today, you are joined to Jesus Christ, the king of the universe. That's who you are. It goes on. Verse 6. We know our old self was crucified. You see, that's a reality. Your old self is dead. Brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Look at verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, alive to Christ Jesus. Go to chapter 8, even better. Verse 14, who are you? Well, for all who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That's who you are. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. Who are you? Well, the Bible says you're joined to Jesus, you're united with him, you're crucified with him, you're raised up with him, you're dead to sin, you're alive to God, you're a son of God, and you're an heir of Christ. That's who you are. And guess what? That's who your brother is. We're agreeing in Jesus. Okay? Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul applies this to a particular situation. You have two ladies. I entreat 
Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. How would you like to have a fight in church that was so bad that the Apostle Paul had to include you in the Bible? And that's a bad deal. Now, what is the fight over? Wouldn't that be great to know that? We know that it's not over a doctrinally clear issue, okay? Because if it was over clear scriptural truth, we've already established, what would Paul have done? He would have fixed it, wouldn't he? He would have just said, hey, here's what the Bible says. Euodia, straighten up. Syntyche, believe this. Here's what the Bible says. But it wasn't. It was some kind of personal issue. It was hurt feelings. It was a disagreement on a gray issue, okay? How something was done in the church. That's what it was about. Now, do you want my opinion on what it's about? I'll give you my opinion, okay? Why is this my opinion? I don't, I don't know. I just, I just figure that if for it to be this bad, it would have to be something like this, okay? It would, the mo- here's what I figure. It'd have to be a mama bear issue. That's, that's just my opinion, okay? So here's what I think happened. Sintiki was taking her, her, her turn in the nursery. Yodia had like 10 kids, right? You know, and they're all under 10, right? And so she drops them all off in the nursery. They're all biters, you know? I mean, I don't know why some kids do that. They just do. Haddon was a biter, man. He chomped on everyone, right? And so they're all biters, you know? And, and so, man, Sintiki is handling these in the nursery. And, man, it's just one blood laugh after another, you know, bite, bite, bite. You know? Man, it's just, it's the worst nursery. And that, that day, Paul went overboard on the sermon. She's got him in there overtime. Finally, Sintiki, she's like visiting with people, you know, before she goes and gets them. She's fellowshipping. Finally, she makes her way back to the nursery. Yodi's got sweat pouring off of her, you know. She's got three of them in her hand. She's like, please pick them up. They were terrible today. And that was it. It was off, you know. I mean, from that point on, there was no love between these two gals because Sintiki felt that her kids were criticized, all right? I don't know whether that would happen or not, but, you know, it seems like that would be something like what happened. So what does Paul say? He doesn't go into the issue. That's why I had to make up a story. It's because he doesn't tell us anything, not one detail about the issue. But here's what he says. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. What's he do? He puts Jesus right smack dab in the middle of them. What was in the middle before? The issue, right? The hurt feelings, right? That you said this, and you thought this, and you told me this, and you embarrassed me, or whatever. Right now, Jesus is right smack in the middle. Agree in the Lord, ladies. Agree on Jesus. Agree that Jesus is life, that he is salvation, that by his shed blood and his resurrection life is our only hope, that he is glorious. Agree that he has saved us by justification through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Agree that what ultimately matters is Christ's glory, not your own. Agree that Jesus is the judge and that he'll make all things right. Agree that Jesus is the one who builds his church, that he's the one that, that, that we need more than our next breath. Agree in Jesus. Ephesians 4.13 says to strive to attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Those two go together. The knowledge of the Son of God. Listen, you can despise someone's taste in worship music. You can think that their views on tattoos are horrible. You can disagree with them on parenting issues. But here's where it comes in. By prayer and through the Scriptures... You can love them with a genuine, fervent, brotherly love. You can care for them and their life 
because they love Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That's the church right there. God desires that we glorify him with one voice. Did you notice that? May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may, verse 6, with one voice glorify the God. Why not, why not just with a bunch of different voices? How many times have you heard this? I don't go to church. I don't really like people. I like to stay home and watch Charles Stanley on TV. Now, is it true that Charles Stanley, that dude can preach? It is true. It is true. Yes. Do they have good music on In Touch? They do. You know, absolutely. What is also true? You cannot glorify God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ with one voice with your brothers and sisters by yourself. You can't do it. You say, well, what is it? Well, I'll show you what it scripturally is here in just a second, okay? I'll, I'll just, I'll show you what it is. And it's in John 17, it's real clear, okay? But, but I, but I, want, I want to give you one other thing before that, just an illustration. If you have a bunch of kids, let me ask you, which, which do you prefer? Do you prefer, let's say you got four kids. Do you prefer that at Christmas time, one comes, your oldest son comes home on December 21st and 22nd. He leaves, and then your, your second daughter, your second child, they come home on December 23rd and 24th. And then they leave. And then your next son comes in on December 26th and 27th. And then they leave. And then your youngest daughter comes home the 28th and 29th. Or do you prefer that they all come at one time and sit around your table? Now, barring any kind of unusual circumstances, I think Everybody would say, I want them all there together. My wife, man, she just wept when we got them all around the table. Why is that? Why can't you just have them one at a time and that be fine? There's something about that one voice. There's something about seeing them love each other. Don't you think our father sees that? Don't you think he wants that? Don't you think he's pleased when we gather and love one another and together with one voice glorify our God and Father? Now, let me give you the scriptural reason. John 17. This is before Jesus' crucifixion and he's praying to the Father and I want you to listen to what he prays. John 17, 21. He says that they may all be one. He's talking about you guys. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, here's the first time, the world may believe that you have sent me. The world may believe that you, I want it to be one so that the world may believe you've sent me. Next verse, verse 22. The glory that you've given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23, I and them, you and me, so that they may become perfectly one, so that the world, second time, so that the world may know that you sent me. Two times. In, in about three verses in Jesus' prayer, he says, I, God, make them united so the world would know you sent me. All right, so here's the deal. There is something about when we care for each other 
like Jesus cares for us, that the world takes up notice and says, that's the real deal. In John chapter 13, Jesus said as much as the same thing. He's in verse 34. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. As I have loved you, you also love one another. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love for one another. There is something about when we care for one another in a united way as Christ cares for us that makes the world see this is the real deal. All right? There's something about petty squabbles. There's something about bickering over gray areas. There's something about us saying, well, you know what? I ain't going to have anything to do with them because of what they believe about this or because of their conviction on that or because of how they look or how they dress. There's something about that that repels the world from the gospel. When the world sees that, they don't want anything to do with Jesus. It's a big deal. Small group leaders. Man, if you're in here, I want to show you something. Pastors and small group leaders need to pay attention to this. Paul writes some letters to pastors. They're called the pastoral epistles, okay? And I want to show you what he says something consistently in all of those letters to pastors that I believe is absolutely applicable to a small group leader. Because when you're a small group leader, you are managing the discussion. You're managing the, the flow of truth in your group, okay? Now notice what Paul says to these pastors over and over again. I'll start in 1 Timothy. Paul writes to the pastor Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 1, 4, he says, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into Vain discussion. Oh, be careful, small group leaders, that you don't let your group wander into vain discussion. Same book, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy, for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. The next letter to a pastor is in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 2.14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. The next book, Titus. Paul writes to the pastor Titus, chapter 3, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once or twice, have nothing more to do with him. Do you see how important this is? Paul writes to pastors, to spiritual leaders over and over again. Don't get caught up in foolish controversies about stuff that doesn't matter. Don't do it. It harms people. Stick to Jesus. Stick to clear spiritual truth. Why? Because it affects our witness. Verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What does that phrase, welcome one another, mean? That's pretty important because we read it and then we, we, we do something every Sunday. Okay. Now, our shaking hands, meeting people, 
working hard to who is that over there? I want to meet them. I want to know who they are. I want to tell them who I am. I want to try to build them up. Oh, they're so-and-so. They had a surgery. I want to encourage them with a word. I want to tell them I was praying for them or they're about to have a track or, you know, something's about to happen in their life that's going to be hard and they've shared it. And I, I want to tell them to be praying for them. Something really good about that. I don't think that's all that the word welcome means, okay? It's a word that means to accept people with special concern. That's the definition of the Greek New Testament. Now, let me show you a couple ways that it's used that I think really help us understand this word. It's used in Acts 18, 26, when Priscilla and Aquila take this guy named Apollos and they take him under their wing to further explain the truth. Apollos, he's got part of the truth, but he didn't have all the truth. And so it says that Aquila and Priscilla, they welcomed him. They accepted him in order that they might share truth with him. Even better one, Acts 28, 2. Remember Paul's shipwreck? They have a shipwreck out and right off the shore. They all got to jump, swim for it. It's wintertime. They're freezing. They haven't eaten. They get to shore and it says the people of the island welcomed them. What does that mean? Does that mean the people of the island came up and said, Hey, glad to meet you. Sorry you're shipwrecked. My name's Jason. That's not what it means. As you read the context, you know what they did? They built a fire. I imagine them putting blankets on them, bringing them in. They gave them food, it says, and drink. Here, have some water. Here, have some, have some bread. Here, get by the fire. Here, let me, let me, let me cover you with this blanket. That, that's what it means to welcome somebody. And so when it says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, well, that's what we're to do. We're to bring people into our spiritual family in order to care for them. It's Christ in our relationships. Remember I told you in Romans 12, you probably don't remember this, but we, we skipped a couple phrases and I said, hey, we'll come back to these. All right, we're coming back to these, okay? So verses 15 and 16 in Romans 12, Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. There it is, live in harmony. That's what Paul just prayed for in Romans 15, live in harmony. But did you notice what came before that? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know what that's called? Spiritual friendship. When you are close enough to somebody that you know when they have a blessing, a success, and and you are happy for them. You can't wait to call them and just rejoice with them. When you're close enough to somebody that you know when their life's falling apart and you care enough that you go and you, you cry too and you put your arm around them and you comfort them. That's what it means to live in harmony. You see, a lot of times when we think of unity, we just think, okay, we all need to believe the same things. That's not at all what it means. We need to agree in Jesus. We need to believe about Jesus. We need to, with one voice, exalt Jesus. But really, harmony and unity are more about how we care for each other. Let me prove this to you. 1 Corinthians 12. The whole chapter is about the body of Christ, the church. It's about spiritual gifts. And it says this in verse 25. It says that there may be no division in the body. No division. We don't don't want there to be division, okay? How do we pull that off? Keep reading. Are you ready? But that the members may have the same care for one another. You thought it was going to say that they believe the same thing, didn't you? But it doesn't say that. It says that they may have the same care for one another. So when we say welcome one another... As Christ has welcomed you, we're saying care for one another 
as Christ has cared for you. You notice Paul brings out the big guns again? Remember last week when he told us, hey, you need to not please yourself. This is in verse 2, but but build up your neighbor. And then in verse 3 he says, for Christ did not please himself. The big guns are, this is the way Jesus lived. He does that again here. He says, welcome one another. Why? Because Christ has welcomed you. Now, now whether that means anything to you, probably depends on this. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The life. You hear that? You want life? I do. John 10, 10. It says, Jesus says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. I want abundant life. Okay, so whether or not when, when the Bible says welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, whether or not that hits you hard depends on whether or not you believe that Jesus is life. Because if you believe he's life, everybody in this room wants life. So you're going to want to be like Jesus. You're going to want to listen to Jesus. Let me close with this. Let me give you the one thing that will most keep you from everything we just said. Okay? Romans 12, go back there. We're going to finish up what I skipped, okay? Rejoice with those who rejoice. That's verse 15. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Okay, now here's the do not. Ready? Do not be haughty. That's, that word means prideful, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Notice Paul says three ways and three different ways don't be prideful after he says live in harmony. Why is that? When I was growing up, I was a kid. Um, I went to a, a farm school. It was a, a school out in the country. All the kids were agriculturally minded. Um, there were 60 kids in my school. About three-quarters of them were Holderman Mennonite. And the big deal, if you were a first and second grade boy, the big deal was, did your dad, first of all, did your dad drive a Ford, a Chevy, or a GMC? Okay? And then it went beyond that. Okay? Did he have a John Deere, a Case, or a Massey Ferguson tractor? Okay? Those were big. And I remember one particular boy in my class. If your dad didn't drive the pickup his dad drove, and if your dad didn't have the tractor that his dad drove, he really didn't want anything to do with you because you were an idiot, all right? I mean, really, like, that's as strongly as he felt about it. Like, like I don't know, but your dad's just dumb, you know, because he don't drive a Chevy and he don't have a Massey Ferguson. There are still some people in the church that way. You know what that is? Nothing wrong with having strong convictions, but you know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. You know the person that says, I'm too busy to invest in people? Uh, Pastor, I'd love, I'd love to do that, but I'm just too busy. I got too much on my plate. Now, what, what exactly is that? Is that? Is that that they're super, super high important and they really do have a lot more on their plate? Or, let me give you my theory here. That's pride. That's pride. That's saying... I'm going to look after all my stuff first. And I really don't have time for anybody else, including the mission of God. You see, pride will keep us from everything we just talked about. So let's humble ourselves. Let's live in harmony. Let's welcome each other as Christ has welcomed us. Man, I tell you, this is one of those sermons where, man, I'm about to pray and then it's on, isn't it? It's on.
We're either obedient or we're disobedient. That's, that's it. Let's pray. God, we're asking you. God, because you're a God full of endurance, full of encouragement, full of hope. And Lord, we're asking you to give some of that to us. God, give it to us so that we can persevere and, and endure in difficult relationships so that we can love people who aren't like us, people that may have different convictions in us, people that think differently, but that love Jesus. God, give us, give us a will to care for them, to minister to them, to pray for them, to encourage them, to listen to them, to share with them. God, help us to be the church for your glory. God, I pray that the people of Woodward, God, no matter what they think of us, I, I pray that they would think this one thing. Man, those people, they love each other. I pray that you'd be glorified in the way that we care for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.